From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your RV, your little cabin in the woods that's off the grid. Wherever and however you're listening, it's great to have you aboard. Welcome. Incidentally, uh, immediately following the conclusion of The Conspiracy Show, I'll be uh, moving on over to another studio in another location and hosting Coast to Coast AM. So check your local listings and uh, stand by for uh, five hours, uh, one hour of this program and uh, an additional four hours of Coast to Coast for uh, five hours of <laughs> yours truly talking. That's a little much, don't you think? Well... That's just the way it is. Uh, next week on the program, Joel Skousen, editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief, will be here to discuss Jade Helm 15. Now, I've received nearly 100 emails over the last couple of weeks from listeners wanting to know what Jade Helm 15 is all about. Uh, this is the military exercise or drill uh, being run by the Pentagon that's to take place in July, uh, perhaps for two weeks, maybe longer. And it'll happen across much of the United States Southwest, including Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, and California. And there is a lot of wild speculation online uh, that this drill, Jade Helm 15, is perhaps a prelude uh, to martial law. Now, I don't happen to believe that, uh, although there are aspects of Jade Helm 15 that I find disturbing. And one of the aspects is that this exercise will include simulated apprehension of dissidents. Uh, the other aspect I find disturbing is we're told the U.S. military is exercising in the U.S. Southwest because of the terrain, the desert. It's similar to the Middle East. In other words, they're training for a future combat mission in the Middle East. I don't believe that. Uh, if that's the case, why aren't they changing the names of the places where they'll be conducting these drills? Uh, traditionally, or that's the usual protocol, they change the names to... Uh, these are fictitious names, so that people in a particular location in the United States won't be offended. Uh, so it gives the impression that the U.S. military is drilling or exercising for a future combat scenario in the United States, where they would be targeting, presumably, U.S. citizens. That's what's disturbing. Uh, in any event, tune in next week. Joel Skousen from World Affairs Brief will be here uh, to tell us what he knows about Jade Helm 15. Uh, right now, we're off in a madly entirely different direction. Uh, now, this is a powerful story. A few years ago, the young woman at the other end of the, uh, the line suffered a horrible mountain bike accident. And she was lucky. She survived. But in the aftermath of that brush with death, Stephanie Banks developed an extraordinary ability, an extraordinary paranormal ability, and you're about to learn what that ability is right now. Stephanie Banks is an award-winning author who is quickly making her mark as an accomplished author. She was born into a family of intuitives who encouraged fostering faith in accepting guidance from within. Prior to her near-death experience, she led a life directed by modern-day terms that lacked depth and clarity. Immediately following her encounter, her death Immediately following her encounter with death, her life transformed to that of an awakened soul. She's now dedicated her life to mastering ancient wisdom and writing candidly about all that she learns through this process. <clears throat> her unfailing connection to the non-physical realm offers guidance and transformation to all those that seek profound, prof- 
that seek profound insight into our existence. Hey, Stephanie, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you tonight? Very well. Congratulations on your book, A Soulful Awakening. Quite a journey. Thank you. It has been quite an incredible journey, for sure. Let's uh, let's dial it back. August of 2012, and uh, you're in uh, uh, Whistler, British Columbia, which is a, uh, an exceptionally, extraordinarily beautiful part of the country, and uh, you're a biker. So what what happened? Take us back there and, and uh, uh, really drill down and, and paint a mental picture for us. Sure. Okay. It's uh, I always have a difficult time talking about it still, which is, I find, rather... Um, odd that it's been so many years yet. I think when we have traumatic experiences, that's probably somewhat normal. But basically what happened was in uh, August of 2012, uh, I took a trip with my family, my husband and my son to Whistler. And for those of you who have been there, it's a pretty unforgiving um, territory, very mountainous terrain. And we had just recently got back into downhill biking. So this was our first uh, real adventure back on our bikes and on the second day we decided to take the gondola up to the top of the ski hill which acts as a mountain biking trail in the summertime and we had spent a couple days prior just sort of testing the water seeing where we were at in terms of our skill level and so on this day we decided okay we're we're good we'll take the gondola up to the top and started with a green run so we did that and found that to be relatively easy so we decided the next time around we would do an intermediate run and uh, we found that to be just about right the water was you know sort of perfect so to speak so we decided well let's do that run again and um, about a third of the way down that particular run there was a series of jumps so my son and my husband are jumpers and they wanted to um, to take one of these jumps and asked that I would go down and take a picture. And I'm not a jumper. I prefer to keep my myself firmly planted on the ground. So um, my thought was, I'll just take this little path that bypasses these jumps and go and take a picture. And partway down um, this bypass, something came over me. And uh, to this day, I don't really know what it was. It was almost like an uncontrollable force or an urge. And I found myself diverting off of this bypass and heading straight into one of these jumps and I remember having the thought that I'll just roll over it it'll it'll just be this little hill and I'll roll over it and carry on my way and stop at the bottom and and take a picture and my mistake in that thought process was making the assumption that it was just this gradual rolling hill what I failed to realize is that there was about an eight foot gap between the takeoff and the landing and um, it wasn't until I was, you know, just about to launch off this takeoff that I realized what was happening and I found myself being catapulted through the air and um, not having enough speed to actually clear the jump. I instead found myself smashing off this rock face on the other side and uh, head first. Uh, luckily, I had a full-face helmet on, and my, I remember my head bouncing off this rock face and um, my wrists and, and the wheels of my bike really taking the impact and, and then bouncing backwards and falling into um, a crevasse below. And it was about a six- to eight-foot drop in, onto a rocky bottom. It's, you know, the mountains, so uh, it's not like there was a nice, soft landing underneath me and... Um, in that, that moment when I was actually 
impacting the wall and falling through the air, I just felt this sense of, of a, it was almost like some somebody or something was absorbing any pain or fear that I could have been having in that moment. And it was actually in a weird sort of way, a, a, a peaceful moment. And it's a very difficult concept to explain because when you're in that kind of situation and I'm explaining it, I really still don't even understand how it could have been peaceful, but it was. And um, I ended up with multiple injuries. I left Whistler, um, the hospital. I, I left with two casts, one on each arm and uh, multiple other injuries on my body. And Did you lose consciousness uh, at any point, Stephanie? I have a mo- I have this moment of time where I don't have any recollection of what was going on, so I would have to say I did. And when your, when but, your husband and your, your, uh, your son, was it, presumably found you? They did. They witnessed the whole thing. They were quite a ways up the hill um, as they were going to come down and take this jump, so it took... It took them, you know, probably about a minute or so. I, I asked Steve, and he thinks it was about a minute to actually get down and and um, help me. And at this point, I had come to, and I remember seeing a, a, a guy jumping over top of me and then another guy jumping over top of me. And, you know, the flow, continuous flow of mountain bikers just, they didn't know I was in the gully, so they just kept jumping. And when I opened my eyes and saw these couple jumpers uh, over top of me, I just, it was, it's like that survival instinct kicked in and I jumped to my feet and I remember just scrambling out of the rocks and uh, I didn't see Steve and Dawson at this point yet. And I remember thinking, I hope somebody doesn't land on top of me. I hope that a biker doesn't come and, and jump and make this situation worse, but it was the only way out. And just as I was about to scramble over the top, Steve and Dawson were there and, and this kind German fellow who witnessed the whole thing and they got me out of the out of the pathway and onto the side of the hill. And even though I had these multiple broken bones in my hands and wrists, I sat there for maybe 30 seconds and there was conversation going on about, you know, who to call and how to get me out of there. And without even another thought, I hopped on my bike and I just, booked it to the bottom of the hill and it was excruciating it was more painful than childbirth and I just all I can think about is I need to get out of here I need to get out of here and I I biked to the bottom and there was a first aid uh, attendant um, right at the bottom of of the hill and they shuttled me to the hospital and from there I was assessed and um, found myself in the in the casting room eventually and I um I was, you know, watching him, watching the doctor cast one arm and then he asked for the other arm and it became clear that he was actually going to cast my right arm as well and I went into this complete panic of I can't have two casts on my arms. How am I going to function? I won't even be able to brush my teeth, you know, normal thoughts that we would all have in such right. a situation. And you and you had you you had jumped on your your bike and you rode <laughs> through that rough terrain with, with two broken arms essentially. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's, uh, I think it's that, that human spirit, I think, that just kicks in. And when you're in that kind of situation, you hear about this kind of thing happening. You think, how in the world did that person do that? And it's that adrenaline and that survival instinct that I think that just kicks in. Sure. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, there's, there's nothing, un, uh, there's nothing ordinary about what happened to you. But when these things happen, you do hear time and time again this narrative 
we're heading into a break here, but uh, you, you hear this narrative of time slowing down and when people are under incredible strain and pressure. I don't know whether it's the endorphins uh, that, that kick in. Perhaps that's part of it. But we'll we'll find out what else happened to you as you lay in that gully uh, after this amazing, extraordinary accident, um, hitting a uh, colliding with a rock wall at full force on a bike and uh, falling into a rocky crevasse below. We will continue our conversation with Stephanie Banks, author of A Soulful Awakening, One Woman's Extraordinary Journey from Life to Death to A Soulful Awakening. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with Stephanie Banks, A Soulful Awakening, and uh, talking about her horrific uh, bike accident, mountain bike accident, back in August of 2012 in Whistler, uh, B.C. Now, um, let's back it up to the um, uh, that crevasse that you fell into, and you're lying in this gully. Uh, and this is where your, um, your story really takes sort of a, a different trajectory. Uh, talk about off the beaten path, but what happened to you while you were laying in that gully, do you suppose? Well, it was, uh, I guess I, I need to fast forward just a little bit so that there's some continuity to the story. At, in, in those moments, it was to me just an accident and I felt, like I said earlier, that I wasn't really present or somebody was absorbing the pain. Um, but until I started my recovery pr- process, that's really all it was. I had no explanation of this feeling that I was having. And um, when I, as I said, when I was in the casting area and I realized that I was about to have my right arm casted as well, I, I begged and I pleaded with the doctor. And luckily for me, I'm a very persuasive person sometimes. And, and I said to him, please, if, you know, if there's any way of just half casting this arm and tying it with a tensor bandage, so that if I need, if I have a panic attack and I need to get myself out of this cast, just even briefly, I can do that. And he was very apprehensive, but in the end, I think he saw the panic on my face and, and he agreed. So, uh, when I, when I started my recovery process back at, at home here in Kamloops, I, um, on my second day, I found myself really falling into this slump and this almost depression. I've never suffered from depression, but I could feel myself really just slipping down this, uh, slippery slope of anger and frustration with myself at what I had done. I have a, I, I run a bit, a landscaping business with, with my brother. We have, you know, 27 plus employees at any given time. It was August. We're in the height of our season. I have a hobby farm. So all these thoughts are running through my mind. And, uh, I just decided, you know what? I have to change this thought process and this pattern. I need to do something more constructive with this energy that I'm feeling. So I decided uh, maybe I'll try reading. Well, I tried reading and I did not have the attention span for that. So I thought, well, maybe I'll write. I've always enjoyed writing. Maybe I'll sit down and write. So I grabbed a journal. I headed out to my deck. I live in a very pristine part of Canada, so I'm fortunate it's, it's tranquil and peaceful. And I sat on my deck uh, and I was contemplating, what am I going to write about? What, what do I have to write about right now? I just feel angry. I don't want to write about that. And literally while I was thinking this, I realized that I had already been writing. And I saw my mother's name, who passed away in 1996, written at the bottom of this page. 
and I was confused. I flipped back and I realized that I had just written nine pages. Um, and sorry, excuse me. At, pardon the interruption, uh, Stephanie. Uh, are, are you writing on a keyboard or hand handwritten or hand, handwriting in a journal? Handwriting in a journal. Okay. Just in, as if I was journaling. And you had written nine pages before you even realized that you'd put pen to paper. Exactly. I felt like I was just contemplating what I was going to write about, and then it, it was almost like I was just again not really there or somewhere else, or it, it's almost like you're. You know, when you space out sometimes and then you, at least I do, every now and then I'll space out and then I'll be like, oh, where was I for the last couple of seconds? That, it's, that that's a, it's a, well, I can't compare my episode to yours, uh, but I, I can relate entirely. A couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I drove uh, to the, uh, the station here in Toronto from my home, which is about a 40 minute drive from North Toronto to the Liberty Village neighborhood where I'm at. And, and before realizing it, I pulled into the parking lot here and I had no recollection of how I'd gotten here. So I, it's right. very unsettling. It is, and and it happens, and I'm glad to you know hear that it's happened to you as well. Although I'm sorry that it's unsettling, <laughs> but it gives me a little bit of solace because that's how it felt. And so as I'm looking back at this writing that I had just done, not only was I shocked at the fact that I was writing, but I was shocked at the fact that I saw my mother's name as if it was a letter. And then I recognized the printing, and it was it, it was pretty much identical to my mother's printing from when she was alive. Oh my! So I decide I'm I'm going to read this. So obviously I start reading this letter, and it was uh, she talked about how my door had been closed and now it was open, and I had now had an understanding of what happens on the other side, and that I have a connection to what lies beyond the veil, so to speak. And uh, and then she went on to talk about how we are in the heat of powerful times um, on the planet and we are shifting and transforming in a spiritual way, basically evolving on a spiritual level. And um, gosh, there were so, so many concepts that she was broaching with me that I had never contemplated before it really ever in my life. And I finished reading this letter and I was stunned and really had no idea what to make of it and what had just happened. I had heard of channeling before. Right. Or, uh, I, or automatic writing is, is also sometimes referred to. Yeah. I've heard, and I did some studying after and some research trying to figure out, you know, are, is there a difference between the two? And I don't really know that there is. No, not that I'm aware of. It just seems like they're the same and same thing. In addition to it being in her hand, as you say, the printing, you recognize the printing, and it was even in your the fact that your hands, your arms were were in uh, casts. Uh, you were, um, I mean, I can't imagine writing uh, that way. It would be a, a, a scrawl. But it, you, well, you recognize the handwriting immediately was your mother's. But was it also written in her voice, if you know what I mean? The words that she would use, the phrases, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And first, I should clarify um, that I had taken off the cast on my right arm because he had cut it right down the center line and tied it with a bandage right. and or that. sorry, a tensor bandage. So before we even got home on the first day, I we stopped in Lillooet and I, I had Steve take it off. So I felt claustrophobic. I'm claustrophobic at the best of times. So my my right arm was free and it actually wasn't 
super painful compared to the rest of my body. It was the least of, of my pain, so I was actually quite free to write. It was the one thing that I could do throughout the cover, the recovery process. And yes, there, it was her, her, there was her words and the way that she spoke and, um, the nickname that she called me by. And sure, you know, for a skeptic out there, you could say, well, you know, the nickname that your mother called you. And yes, I, I do. But it's still, when I read this letter, it sounded like her. And not too long after that, I got, I received a message from my grandfather and, it was very difficult to write. The writing was really hard to read. And it was his writing and so distinctly his writing. I took it downstairs to my brother and I he didn't know anything. He didn't know what was going on with me at all. And I showed him this writing and I said, who is this? And he said, well, it's Grandpa's. Where'd you get that from? And that was the confirmation right then and there. And Again, it was his words and his way of speaking, yet slightly different um, at the same time. So, so as I went through this, uh, this sort of transformation within myself of this new ability to channel um, from these either people that had passed away or guides and teachers as they were coming through to me, one of the, um, one of the things that I decided to do... Uh, I'm not too sure on the time frame, but I think it was within a, a couple of months, my partner Steve and I um, decided to talk to a friend of ours who's a very spiritual person. He spent his whole entire life um, studying and mastering different levels of spirituality and energy work and, and that kind of thing. And I wanted to, I wanted his opinion. I, I was looking for confirmation and some support. I felt confused and uh, a little bit strange. Sure. Why? <laughs> Who wouldn't? I mean, and are you? You mentioned, you know, when you had the accident, there, there was that uh, that that missing time. It may have been thirty seconds. It may have been a minute. Who knows? But and then when you were writing, uh, journaling the first time, and your mother came through, uh, suddenly you realized you'd written nine pages. Now, how long would it take to write nine pages? Maybe maybe three quarters of an hour. Hard to say. Each time this happens to you, is there like missing time or you, do you feel like you're in some sort of a trance? Not now. No. And that was the only time where it really felt like that because I wasn't expecting to do that. I, I didn't have any expectations of what I was going to do other than sit down and write. From that moment on, I purposely sat down and still do with the intent of um, reaching out to somebody on the other side. So I don't feel like I lose time, but what I do feel is that time stands still. So it's a little bit different. I know what I'm doing. I know what's going on around me. I hear my dogs barking if they're barking or the donkeys honking or whatever donkeys' noises are called. <laughs> right, right. So I, I'm aware of all of that. It was the, That was the only time where that happened. Did your mother come through again um, in that first? She's, yeah, she's come through numerous times, and, and that's why I think, I think I love so much about all of this and now it's become something that I can share with other people is that I, I it brought so much freedom to me knowing that she's there and that I have this new found connection with her and it's not going anywhere under any circumstances whether whether I die tomorrow or whether it doesn't matter that it's an unbreakable connection and it's interesting when my mother passed away at her memorial service this gentleman that I, I, I've never seen him since. I hadn't seen him beforehand. He was just part of the lineup of people coming to greet me and give their condol- condolences. 
he came up to me and gave me this quite a uh, magnificent bear hug and looked me in the eyes and he said, your relationship with your mother has just changed. That's all. And in time, you'll know what I'm talking about. That's beautiful. And I had, no, it was. It really was. And it struck me. And I never forgot it. Yet it took me 20 some odd years to really understand what he was trying to say. And uh, how uh, did these communications um, help you with your recovery? Well, they became a painkiller, really. I didn't, I didn't take one painkiller after that, that initial trip to the hospital. I probably should have. I was in a lot of pain, yet when I sat down to write and then, uh, and then after I wrote, I would read and then I would start contemplating. It became this daily process that was fairly long drawn out. It was like I almost became, uh, it's all I really thought about is I'd wake up in the morning and, I'd be excited and I'd feel a passion that I'd never felt um, really before about anything. And through that passion, I was able to forget about the pain that I was in and the fact that I was um, not being supported to my supportive to my business or, or my, my home and that kind of thing. So it was a, it was a, it, and it was so transformative for me. And that was the other thing. Like once I got past, the doubt and the apprehension and um, the fear of being judged and, and all of that, it, it became such a transformation within me that I started to share it. And once I started to share it, I really started to understand the um, capabilities that these messages had to transform other people around me. And now here I am sharing as much as I can because I don't feel that these messages were meant for me. I'm I'm just as special as everybody else out there. And okay, I've got to, excuse me, Stephanie, got to uh, take a time out here. We'll come back and I'll find out uh, uh, who else came through during these uh, channeling or automatic writing sessions and, and how you prepare for these and how it's decided who comes through at any given time and so forth. Stephanie Banks, A Soulful Awakening, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back with Stephanie Banks, A Soulful Awakening, one woman's extraordinary journey from life to death to a soulful awakening after a horrific mountain bike accident in Whistler, B.C. during her recovery while journaling these spirits, uh, these uh, uh, departed souls were coming through during her journal writing and uh, at first it was her mother and then her, her late grandfather now w w when you sit down how do you prepare for this do you hear a voice first that says sit down pick up a pen and here we go or do you how does that work sometimes that's happened a, a couple times but but rarely um, but I have been in that situation where somebody has requested a message for themselves and um, I always say to people when they when they ask me for a message that I can't guarantee a time because I have to feel like the timing's right. So every now and then I'll, I'll just get an urge and, and I know I have to write. But more often than not, I decide, you know, I just need to write. It's been a while. I need to sit down. I need to reconnect. For me, it's a form of meditation. And then in which case, I simply grab, you know, tea or water or, you know, a coffee. I'm a coffee drinker and um, a, a stone or a crystal of some sort usually and make sure that the house is going to be relatively quiet for the next little while. And, and I sit down and open up my journal and um, I always start with my own little blurb. I say, you know, good morning universe, um, guides, teachers, protectors. And then I, I give 
my gratitudes, you know, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting and, and, and so on and so forth. And then I simply ask if there's anyone who has a message for us today or for me in general or for so-and-so who has asked for one or if I'm curious about something, you know, could you please explain to me what is ego? I want to know. Like, explain it to me in your words, that kind of thing. And then to date, I always receive an answer of some description and they're beautiful and magnificent and wise. And how many letters have you dictated from the other side, essentially, to date? Oh, uh, hundreds, I'm sure. I think I I have at least uh, 12 or 13 journals full at this point. And and aside from relatives, who else has come through of note, let's say? I mean, anyone coming through obviously would be noteworthy, but anyone anyone of note, uh, an exceptional communication that actually, you know, left you absolutely gobsmacked? Well, the, there's there's a few that that definitely um, seem to really impact me on, on a on a deeper level. I mean, they all do. Like you say, it's hard to sort of distinguish one from the other in terms of being more important than than the next. But uh, my own personal guide, who apparently I traveled with during my um, experience in the gully, the, that moment that I don't re- really recall. Uh, Ruby Ruben, otherwise known as Ruben. He he and I have a very special connection, and then um, Solomon and I don't know to this date if it's you know Solomon that other people are talking about to me. He's Solomon, and very wise, very informative, and knowledgeable, kind and caring. Um, I have one of my own uh, Solomon and 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 Ruby seem to sort of encompass many 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 souls, and. Uh, it seems to me that we're all we're all one and we're all together yet at the same time we're we're sort of broken down into these groups and um, watched over and guided by various guides and and some some of these guides will have numerous people like maybe even you know thousands and millions for all I know and then others are more specific to individuals so I have a guide that's really specific to me and um, and so I connect quite closely with him but you know what they all it doesn't matter if it's if I was to channel a message for you that that guide whatever they have to say is still striking me on a deep level and impacting my life in some way and and uh, are these guides um, are they all departed souls I mean did they once you know walk this earth or are some of them perhaps from the angelic realm I mean who are these or, or what are these entities well there's been probably 12 or 14 that I've channeled and it appears like the majority of them have at one time or another incarnated um, probably numerous times Ruby I don't feel has and I don't know why I haven't asked that and maybe now I will and I don't but I just have the sense that he's just always been in the non-physical realm Solomon I asked him that question have you ever been here have you ever lived in human form and he has he's he described himself and I think I included this in the book he described himself as a ruler at one time but he talked about how he ruled and um, the proper way of ruling and how to really uh, encompass the compassionate way of guiding people as opposed to how, you know, a lot of people tend to let their egos rule instead of their hearts and souls. So Perhaps it was King Solomon that we know, of course, from the Old Testament. Well, and it may be. 
It may be. There's just always so many questions and there's not enough time to get all the answers. So this is, I'm only into year two, you know, two and a half, well, almost three, I guess, at this point. And um, there's just so many questions for me to ask and I'm excited to hear what, what comes out. We're going to head into a break, but we'll, we'll discuss on the other side. Uh, a Soulful Awakening with Stephanie Banks right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And our uh, final segment with Stephanie Banks, an incredible, extraordinary journey from life to death to a soulful awakening. And um, I, I asked you before the break about whether this... Uh, you know, this ability that you now have uh, to sit down and channel or automatic write and communicate with the other side, uh, whether there's any danger that that could, or whether it has already taken over your life. Do you have time to, to, to uh, for other pursuits like your landscaping business? Well, oddly enough, I, I find that I don't have enough time to pursue this right now. And I think if I didn't have a business partner and um, 27 employees that relied on me for for a job, I don't know that I would still be doing it, but I do. I have commitments that I need to up, up you know, I need to keep until the time is right. But what I have done is I went through a, a I went through a time of um, confusion, and uh, I needed to find a balance. I needed to figure out how to incorporate this with that. And what I managed to do is take these lessons that I share in the book and start applying them. And it's one thing to read them; it's another thing to know them and feel them and to to live by them and when you do you can you can take that anywhere with you so i take it to work and i i i coach my staff and and my clients and who knows where these co- topics are going to come up these conversations and i'm able to implement everything that i've learned through my landscaping business and there's something really magical and beautiful and challenging and being able to do that and watch your company prosper and grow in the same way that you are as an in- individual. So and I'm not really worried about that. Give me some examples of, of um, the, the messages that have come through while you were automatic writing your journal uh, from the other side and, and, and information that was given to you that you've put into practice. Uh, well, a big one is to uh, follow my intuition. And that seems like such a you know simple thing and you hear that all the time. Yet at the same time, how often do we ignore it? And about ninety nine percent of the time. Exactly, and I was one of those. And now I'm more more often than not, than not do I actually follow that, and I listen to my intuition, and I go with that, and I remove all doubt that my logical mind is telling me. And as long as I keep following that intuition, my life just rolls out magically. It's like a, an explosion of synchronicities that just fall into place, and it's uh, it's quite astounding and beautiful. But you know what? All the lessons have uh, assisted and supported me in my life in, in such an amazing way to date that it's hard, it's hard to sort of de- decipher one without discussing the other. And uh, what do these um, uh, spirits or souls tell you? Uh, the other side is like, where is it? What does it look like? Well, um, I guess it would be a good time to, to sort of discuss the message that I got in regards to what happened to me when I crashed into this wall. And apparently what happened was is I was um, guided by, my, by one of my guides, Ruby, and, um, and a few other guides from what I've been told. 
and we traveled. And where we traveled, I don't really know. I just know that we traveled out there somewhere. And from that vantage point, I was able to see my life clearly here on Earth this time around, as well as my eternal life and the eternal life of all souls in the universe. And from there, I made a decision whether to keep seeing what I was being shown or whether to come back. And I chose to come back and uh, with a newfound perspective on life and a, and a new mission. And um, that's where I am now. Where they are, it's still a little bit unclear. I don't know if I'll ever really understand that because I don't think we're capable of understanding that in this three-dimensional space where we are, this linear way of thinking. It's almost like some, if you were speaking to me in Japanese, I just I wouldn't have any clue. I'd have no idea. Right. I, I liken it to uh, you know, our, our, our inability to understand or comprehend other dimensions, for example, looking down into a koi pond. Uh, and we, can, we look down into the koi pond, uh, maybe stick our finger, the tip of our finger, into the koi pond, and the koi, uh, no, by and large, no real sense of the world that we inhabit. They just see this this finger coming down into their world and saying, Wait, wow, where did that come from? That that's like a paranormal experience for them, I suppose. Yeah. Um and and um prior to all of this happening to you, what were you kind of a linear thinking person? Were you a skeptic about this? Uh, what what was your 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 spiritual inclination at that time? No, I, I definitely wasn't a skeptic. My, I grew up with a, with a mother who was constantly poking me in the, in the gut saying, follow that feeling. That's, that's your guide. As long as you follow that feeling, you'll always be led in the right, in the right path. And, um, she had been to a few clairvoyants in her life and I had, I had gone to a channeler twice in my life. So I was definitely open to, um, to other possibilities. And I always had a sense and a feeling that there was more than what I could see and, and feel at that time in my life but I had no real practices in place. I, I didn't read any spiritual books. I didn't meditate. I didn't do yoga. I drank green tea every now and then, but that probably doesn't really count. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having one right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it completely changed. It, it completely changed. You know what it did? It didn't really, it did change me, but it sparked something that was already lit and it turned it into this burning flame and this desire to, follow that feeling and to go with it. And, you know, when we talk about where are these guides and where are these spirits and where do they come from, to me at this point, now that I've got to where I am, uh, that doesn't really matter so much. What matters to me is that the messages that I'm receiving, the lessons that I'm able to share are changing people's lives. And just before I got on the show, Steve pulled up an email from a lady who listened to a show I did last week and it was just heartwarming. It almost brought me to tears that that one radio interview was able to bring her the peace that it did. So it's more about the content, less about where it's coming from. Sure. Now, uh, is there anything do you think particular about the way your your brain is wired, or can some can anyone uh, learn to do this? And do you have any advice for someone who who might be uh, interested in in learning to uh, get into automatic writing or to channel? I think that anyone who is um, listening to this show or reading books along these lines has already um, something inside them knows that that there's that it exists. And if you have any kind of knowing or inclination that channeling or being in touch with the other side is real, then 
there's no doubt in my mind that you can do it. If you're one of those people that just refuses to believe it, and that's fine because, you know, there's those people in the world and this is a big place and we've all come through different lifetimes at different, you know, different periods and whatnot. I, it may not be possible for for them right now, but that being said, things can shift in a lyric, in an accident, in something that somebody says, a tap, a, a tap on the shoulder, a hug. You never know what is going to create that shift and and that revelation that could hit you at any moment. Uh, I was uh, listening back to an interview I did with uh, an author on this program. Uh, I believe it was in December of last year. He just passed away. Michael Luckman. He wrote a book called Alien Rock, and he was writing about UFO encounters uh, told to him by or that he's researched by various musical artists, Elvis Presley, and uh, who had you know incredible sightings in the Los, in the, uh, the Nevada desert. Uh, John Lennon, of course, who had several close encounters. But the other aspect he talked about, uh, he, and he was writing a new book on this at the time of his death, and that is um, this almost this channeling aspect that many musical artists talk about. In fact, they feel almost guilty for taking credit for the music or the lyrics that they write because they, Lennon in, in, in included, and Yoko Ono has uh, confirmed this in other interviews. Lennon would say, I, I didn't write this. It just came to me. Uh, and I'm wondering if that's the same sort of thing that, that you're experiencing. I think it's the exact same thing. You know, I, I went and um, I saw Wayne Dyer speak, and prior to 2012, believe it or not, I had never even heard of Wayne Dyer. That's how green I was. And uh, when I saw him speak in Pasadena, he spoke about that. He said, it took me 30 years to realize that this information, you know, is coming from a higher source. And... What was interesting for me was when um, I was about two or three journals in to this writing, I decided I need to start reading what other people are writing. So I went down to the library, went into the spirituality section, this book jumped off the shelf, I read it, and as I was reading it, I, I got chills up and down my body. I was like, I could take any of these channeled messages that I just received, insert them into this book, or vice versa, and it would still make sense. It was like it was coming from the same source. So... I think a lot of the time when we give ourselves the opportunity and, and the freedom to sit and be quiet and be still and engage in something that is meditative, um, that's when we open up this channel. And we all have it. It's all there. We all came from the same source. We live through the same source. And we go back to the same source. So we're all the same. It's just a matter of how clean that connection is. And once you figure out a way of cleaning that connection and being and, and opening it, it's like a rusty pipe or a pipe that's got something stuck in it. You can't force water through it. It's just not going to flow. Right, it needs to right. be clean and open. And then it's amazing what you can get. So I think it happens all the time. Any connection with the pineal gland, do you suppose? The third eye? I think so. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, it, I, I'm not super well educated in the pineal gland at this point. I've, it's funny that you say that because I was listening to uh, one of your shows earlier today, and it happened to be that one, <laughs> a lady that you had interviewed that talked about. Oh, Dr. Susan Shumsky. Yes, Dr. Susan Shumsky. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, I found, found that very educating, and but I, I think that that's, you know, that's that's the core. That's the catalyst. There's, you know, that that's our connecting, one of our connecting links anyways, right there. Uh, whenever we, we, we talk about spirit communication on this program, when I talk to, to, to researchers in this field, they always offer sort of a caution uh, or a caveat, and that is, you know, you have to be careful 
if you're sort of traversing the astral plane here, let's say, for example, or whatever you want to call it, we have to be wary of more nefarious entities, don't we? I mean, aren't you opening yourself up to that possibility that something perhaps a little more nefarious could come through, a, a, a not-so-enlightened spirit? I suppose it's possible. I haven't experienced that, and I, I'm a firm believer that where I choose to focus my attention and my fears is where I'm going to go. So I really don't have any fear of that happening. I haven't experienced it, and I don't believe at any level that that's what I'm going to attract. Um, life to me, whether it's the non-physical or the physical, is all a reflection. And w- what you what you choose to to focus on, and um, where you choose to place, where you choose to play. If you give your fears credit, then maybe that's where you'll go. So. If I went to bed at night thinking, oh, my gosh, you know what, maybe I shouldn't channel tomorrow because maybe I'll get a dark dark entity coming into my life, then chances are maybe that would happen. But the same thing could happen in the physical world. It's not going to stop me from going to work tomorrow and going to a client's house that I've never met before for fear that they're not a very nice sure. person. Yeah, you just if you stay out of the dodgy end of town, you're not going to encounter those on the physical plane or the uh, the astral plane. We are um, we're out of town, uh, out of time, uh, Stephanie. But I've enjoyed uh, meeting you and, uh, and I've enjoyed our conversation immensely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Richard. Stephanie Banks, A Soulful Awakening. That's it. We are done. Before we dim the lights, let me say thanks to uh, Tim Spreen, Albert Benzel, all of you for listening, and back uh, next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Good night.